Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, glad to have you all with us today. Um, there are some key runoff races uh, in uh, coming up in the election that will be determined. The outcome will be determined on uh, June 21st, uh, which is the final day of voting in the runoff elections. But in the top of the ballot races for governor, for United States Senate, the general election is completely underway and moving forward just a day or two days after the primary elections. We're going to talk about that and more on Political Rewind today. Uh, Kevin Riley, the editor, the boss of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is my Thursday partner from the AJC on the show. Kevin, your team did a great job uh, reporting on all of the election news uh, on Tuesday night and throughout the day yesterday. Congratulations. Thanks a lot, Bill, and I and uh, we're really proud of the work our folks did, uh, and hope they get some time to catch their breath. But we're already off and running, as you point out, uh, for the general election, and Georgia will be a busy place for uh, all the way till you know, November, I'm sure. Yeah, I think all of us are already uh, putting our running shoes on and getting set for uh, big campaigns in the months ahead. Emma Hurt is uh, back with us today. She, of course, is a reporter for Axios Atlanta, a newsletter which you can subscribe to. Uh, Emma, how do people do that, by the way? (laughs) Thanks, Bill. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, Axios.com slash Atlanta. It'll be right there for you. Okay. Uh, Where I, I don't know. Tell me about your reporting Tuesday night. I assume you were out somewhere at a headquarters Tuesday night. Yes. Um, we were all, all over the place. Leader, uh, Abrams had a press conference in the morning. Um, but I ended up at, uh, Kemp's victory party with a lot of other people, but then that wrapped up so early and secretary Raffensperger's race was looking, um, like quite a, a surprise. So I drove up to Peachtree Corners to catch him, um, declaring victory. I was there as his team said, you you can do it. We've got it. Because he said to me before, he was like, you know, I'm the Secretary of State, so I have to really wait till I'm really sure to declare victory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good timing on that. Of course, that was the biggest surprise of election night, the fact that Brad Raffensperger, under so much pressure from Donald Trump and other election deniers, wins without even having to go through a runoff. It was quite a, a, a feat for Raffensperger. Of course, he's going to have some tough Democratic competition. That race won't be decided until uh, the runoff. We're joined also today by Representative David Wilkerson uh, from Powder Springs, a minority whip in the House. And uh, David, uh, forgive me for not knowing this for certain, but are you, are you still the chair of the Cobb County delegation? I am not. That is Eric Allen now. Oh, okay. So I, did, I, did I wasn't sure. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you. I'm sorry that I didn't know that going in. Uh, what I do know is that for the second time on this show, Representative Wilkerson, you are talking to us from your Ford F-150 pickup <laughs> truck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully I'm coming in clear, but yes, I, I have an F-150 you sound- out in Powder Springs. So. <laughs> yeah. You sound great. Leo Smith is back with us as well, a longtime uh, Georgia Republican Party official who uh, left the uh, state party to go off on his own to do consulting for Republicans and also to found Engaged Futures, a company in which he does government relations work. Uh, Leo, quite a night for uh, Brian Kemp, particularly on Tuesday night, and Brad Raffensperger. Uh, quite a night and quite a few statements about the state of democracy in Georgia. Um, all right, let's get going on this. And let's talk a little bit, Kevin, about the extent of Kemp's uh, victory. Um, and we'll talk, of course, in a little while about the Democrats, about Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock. But 
But um, here's some really interesting information now that we know more about how the election came down. Kemp won all 159 counties, including Houston County, which is David Perdue's home county, by nearly 40 points. He won Glynn County, where Perdue now lives, by 40-some points. Um, But he also posted some of his biggest numbers in Democratic strongholds in Metro. Um, He won Cobb, DeKalb, and Fulton counties with about 80% of the vote. As a result of that, Larry Sabato's crystal ball has now uh, moved the governor's race here to leans Republican. Now, Kevin, having said that, I do think we should be cautious about those numbers in Cobb and DeKalb uh, counties, uh, because after all, there weren't any top races on the Democratic side to draw voters over there. But it's conceivable that some Democrats crossed over and when they took a Republican ballot, cast a ballot for uh, Brian Kemp. Yeah, a lot of things are conceivable. Bill, I do have to give you credit, though, for that pronunciation of Houston County. That's something so many of us get wrong and uh, that you were revealing your many years in politics in Georgia and your (laughs) immense credibility, uh, which I admire greatly. I mean, I'm sure that um, Leo and David will will talk about this, but um, the the turnout, the enthusiasm on the Republican side, um, the just absolute shellacking of David Perdue seems to have a ton of messages within the, those facts. And um, I think that uh, those things uh, give Brian Kemp an awful lot of momentum. And um, it says a lot about um, how this thing shapes up. And the Hill, the Democrats, um uh, would have to climb to to knock him out, an incoming governor, out of office. So, I, I mean, I, I think that we see that with the results. Um, Emma, uh, give us your take on the extent of the Kemp victory and how you think it positions him for the fall campaign. I mean, the narrative that Republicans are in disarray is just not true when you have a 70% margin. Now, there's still those, you know, 20 something percent, 30 percent that didn't vote for Kemp, and he needs every single one of them in uh, November. So that's, I mean, that's a real thing. And there were people at David Perdue's Victory Party, of course, committing to skipping the governor's race in November to avoid voting for Kemp. But I I mean, I think everyone is, including David Perdue, who, you know, is committed to, to trying to help beat Abrams in November, would uh, would hope that enough time has passed, wounds will heal, and the great unifier of Republicans will be Stacey Abrams and that they will come around for Kemp in the end. Um, Leo, let me read you the first paragraph from an editorial in this morning's Wall Street Journal that relates to exactly what we're talking about here. The headline is, Will Trump Help to Elect Stacey Abrams? And here's the lead. Donald Trump's political revenge campaign hit a wall in Georgia on Tuesday as Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger easily defeated Trump-backed challengers. The question now is whether the former president will continue his vendetta by trying to defeat both men in November. Um, Respond to that, Leo. Well, I think Purdue has already sort of uh, sent out his, his expectations to President Trump with his own magnanimous concession and saying, I will go to work for Donald Trump, uh, as Kingston went to work for me when I defeated him. And the entire Republican Party said, let's support David Perdue. And I know from being there, being on the staff at that time at the um, um, 3110 Maple Drive, um, is that the party apparatus really did get behind Purdue, as it did when Trump, an upstart who was said to be a Democrat and ran against an entire field of presidential candidates that were harder, harder Republicans, um, we all got behind him so much so that I even gave an opening speech for Trump um, at, uh, when he had his first visit uh, at the Fox Theater. So as an executive with the party, that happened. Trump has to do that, or he is actually going to lose a lot of credibility heading towards 2024. I think Trump will either be quiet from here out on the Kemp uh, piece, or he will actually show support, because he still needs to have some favor from the Republican Party. 
Um, all right, David Wilkerson, we've now talked about all of the wind at the back of Brian Kemp right now. Let's talk about the other side of the ballot. Um, the, uh, the state party has now launched this new initiative in which uh, uh, Democrats are going to try to have a unity uh, campaign to bring together, to identify and motivate Democratic voters across the state to turn out for Abrams and for Raphael Warnock. And we know how successful Stacey Abrams and her Fair Fight organization have been in the past. They completely transformed the Georgia political landscape because they were so exceptional at identifying and turning out voters in two election cycles in a row. That's correct. And um, I think everybody has seen Stacey's um, record previously as minority leader and now and then as a candidate and then with Fair Fight afterwards. I mean, this is the day we were all expecting when we started this, is that there would be a rematch between uh, Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into the results, because even if you look at down the ballot, I don't know if any incumbent lost to non-incumbents even at the legislative level. So the only ones that lost were people that were running against other incumbents because they were drawn together like the chair of the Republican caucus, Bonnie Rich. I mean, she lost to another Republican. But I think what happened was that voters went to the polls and kind of locked in their team. And they, they went with either people that were already elected or the, the people that won that were not elected were people that had run before, so they knew their name. So I think everybody's focusing on November. And um, no one has shown better not only in Georgia, but across the country and organizing people. So I've got complete faith in the Democratic Party um, pulling everybody together. Um, David, the RGA, the Republican Governors Association, yesterday, the day after the primary election, already launched a TV commercial campaign attacking uh, Stacey Abrams. This is going to be a brawl both on both sides. There's no question about that. Um, and, and Stacey Abrams has shown the ability to raise untold amounts of money. But Brian Kemp and the Republicans are going to match her at, 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 along the way, yes? Yeah, I, I don't think money's going to be an issue for either um, either campaign. So it really comes down to the message and what you see as the vision for Georgia. And, and Stacey's shown that she can work with both sides. So you're not going to see them attack her on her record. You may see them attack on statements she made in public, but you're not going to see attack her on the work that she did with uh, Hope Scholarship with uh, Nathan Deal, or you're not going to see her attack on other things. So, um, yeah, I'm looking, like I said, I think people know Stacey, and it's going to come down to who they choose in the, the election in November. Kevin? Bill, I, I mean, I always come back to this. Brian Kemp has won three statewide elections, right? I mean, or, or rather two, two statewide elections. He was appointed, right, as Secretary right. of State, then ran, was reelected, then won as governor. Um, Stacey mm -hmm. Abrams has never won a statewide election. I mean, I think that's worth pointing out, uh, despite the, her enormous um, profile and the money and all that. I really think it'll come down to, you know, each side has their key issues, right? I mean, we know that Stacey Abrams is going to talk about Medicaid expansion. She's going to talk about abortion, and she's going to talk about guns probably now, right? And, and then Kemp has the economy. He's got the law and order thing. I mean, I, I just think that um, it, it really depends on what issues really resonate with Georgians as we get close to the time that they vote, right? Um, we know that these horrible shootings uh, and mass killings uh, become dominate the news and then sort of fade away. I mean, uh, will that remain an issue? Um, she really can't. No one can pass an anti-gun bill in Georgia because even if you're elected governor, you won't have control of the legislature. So I, I just I think that this is a tough spot to unseat a sitting governor who has a, so much wind at their back unless an issue emerges that just motivates a one side much greater than the other. And we're already we're already seeing these arguments to, to Kevin's point come out. Abrams, um, you know, made a, an opening, <laughs> setting the stage for the campaign statement yesterday, saying that Kemp will be remembered as a one-term governor who pointed a gun at a boy on television, and and um, you know also talked about the anti-abortion law. And chair of the Democratic Party, Congresswoman Kima Williams, held a press conference setting the stage for the general with these two issues right at the top as well. But, 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 uh, you know, 
Brian Kemp's talking about Biden inflation, quote unquote, and he's talking about Georgia's economy and unemployment rate. And and to Kevin's point, like how what will be resonating with voters come November, especially, I mean, you know, I saw projections from J.P. Morgan that gas will be six dollars a gallon by the end of the summer. I mean, that, as we know, history tells us makes people vote and it makes certain people vote who don't normally vote. And normally they're going to take it out on the party in power. Abrams said she was asked about this uh, Tuesday and she said, oh, there's always national headwinds. But, you know, I'm not worried Georgians are, you know, these are the issues that Georgians care about. But those national headwinds are real. Um, all right, Leo, I, I understand what Kevin and Emma are saying. You know, what are the issues that will motivate voters? That, of course, assumes that there are persuadable voters in the state of Georgia who might uh, uh, are still undecided about which party they're going to vote for or not. And we know there's a diminishing number of uh, that, that these are base elections typically. But to what extent are voters still persuadable even if these are base elections? Well, you know, persuasion is harder and more expensive than getting people animated and, uh, you know, just out to vote, just having a turnout strategy. When you look up north, when I visited precincts um, on election day up north, uh, Cherokee and above, people were they were turned out on issues like school board races, local issues that they were concerned about, that Republicans had messaged well nationally and locally. But when I visited Buckhead and South, uh, a few precincts, there were people, the lines were smaller, uh, people were less animated, uh, but yet they did when you did man-on-the-street interviews with them, uh, African-Americans in the West End, and I know that we're going to talk about this a little later uh, from Capital B, um, they did have things to say about local policies. But those local policies were what? They were they were Brian Kemp talking points. They were economy. They were education. They were the things that Brian Kemp is talking about, not the things that Stacey Abrams. So advantage Brian Kemp because he is actually more localized in his uh, campaign platform, and that's going to bode well for him. Well, David, to look at the other side of that coin, Stacey Abrams has embraced uh, with great passion uh, uh, expanding Medicaid, equal access to health care for all uh, Georgians. As Kevin pointed out, she can now reach beyond that to the issue of choice, being pro-choice. Um, that, too, is a powerful issue for a great many Georgians. I look at all the areas where we're seeing uh, rural hospitals shut down. We, watch, we watched in the pandemic and saw that it disproportionately affected people of color, uh, people in lower, of lower incomes, people who didn't have access to health care. That's a pretty powerful issue to take on on the other side of this, Yes. It is. And, and we have to remember that, you know, Kemp has been governor for going on four years. And even two years ago, or not even quite two years ago, a year plus ago, we run a, two uh, Senate seats, which would be unheard of. And that was because people got motivated when it was time to come out. So they came back out for the runoff. And so we can look at the issues. But at the end of the day, Georgia is still, I believe, um, number one in uh, infant mortality, maternal mortality. Um, even though we passed the mental health bill, we're still 48th in the nation in mental health. So those are the type of issues that I think cross party lines. If you look at the legislature this past session, people are going to start asking, what does the bill do? And are we doing enough when it comes to mental health? Because I think that is what people care about when they talk about their schools, getting their students getting back to school, um, is the children being at home in Georgia, um, have a lot of mental health issues and how we addressing that. So I think there's a lot of issues that, you know, Six months is a long time in politics, but I think that we have a chance to really uh, talk about those issues as we talk to voters. Um, all right. So as long as we're talking about issues, um, I, I, I was going to reserve this for later in the show. But, Kevin, let's jump into it now because you brought it up. Um, and that is the question. After this horrendous massacre um, in Uvalde, Texas, um, and the more we see of the images of the young children who were murdered, all of them in the same room when this massacre took place. That, that in itself, it's terrible enough to think about a whole school being uh, uh, the field for a mass attack, but when everybody's in the same room, it's just even more uh, uh, 
devastating to think about. All right, so that's going to be in, in the news for some time now. Democrats on the Hill, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer has said uh, he wants to do something, but he can't move now because he knows he doesn't have Republicans behind him. Uh, it is an issue on, uh, on the Hill. It's also going to be an issue in Georgia. Uh, the question, Kevin, that I've been asking uh, yes, throughout yesterday's shows was um, whether or not some form of gun safety measure is really going to motivate voters to turn out to the polls or not. And I don't think any of us know the answer to that question. I agree. I think we'll we'll see what's happening or what's on voters' minds in November. I mean, let me give you an example. Does anyone remember when the pandemic was a big deal? And everyone thought maybe Brian Kemp was going to be in trouble because of how many Georgians died of COVID. I mean, we don't we haven't mentioned the pandemic once. And, you know, that that was a real point of departure uh, in terms of how Democrats and how Republicans saw it and approached it. Um, and I just wonder, I mean, uh, you know, if that will come up or not. So um, and I, I think Emma's right. I mean, I think that, hey, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. There's a lot of there's guns. There's all this. There's abortion. There's, there's law and order. And there's everything. But, man, there's nothing like standing there at the gas pump and feeling like you'd really like to punish someone for what it's costing you. OK, I thank you for reminding us of that comment by Emma. I do though want to focus a little longer on the whole issue of guns here. And Emma, let me uh, turn to, to you, uh, if I, I may, on this. Um, Democrats are going to hit and already have, as you pointed out, Kemp and Republicans in the legislature hard for passing what they call constitutional carry, open carry, being able to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. Um, and, and we know there's no way in the world we're going to see anybody in the legislature uh, fight to pass some kind of gun restrictions. How, first of all, how frustrating do you think that is to people who are so upset about the proliferation and ease of access to weapons, which leads to massacres? And, and then are they going to take it out on the side that isn't doing anything in November? That is something that I think Democrats are hoping for right now. Um, and, you know, we do know from the AJC's own polling that this open permitless carry measure is not something that the majority of Georgians wanted, and yet it was passed anyway. But I think right now, given, you know, the realities in, in Georgia and, and other states that have loosened gun laws, the eyes turn to the, fed, the federal uh, legislative climate. And, you know, my colleagues reported yesterday that that while, you know, it seems the cycle just comes and goes and nothing changes, she, you know, she reported that there are some things that have changed that might mean that pro like compromise is possible. One of them being that the NRA is weakened now. Um, another being that, you know, this happened in a Republican state and Senator John Cornyn from Texas is an influential leader. And then the third is that bipartisan talks are actually happening. And so there is hope that there might be some something that will change. And, you know, if that legislation takes time to, you know, that might stay in the news longer than these shootings really sadly tend to disappear um, so quickly. David, Republicans will talk uh, over and over. They already are about we need to do something about mental health. We need to be able to identify people with mental health problems. It's not guns. It's it's the uh, mental health of the people who go out on these sprees. Your thoughts? Let's let's talk about that. So mental health, as I mentioned before, we're 48th in the nation. So the governor has failed on that front. Um, the legislature's failed on that front. Um, you know, even when we had the bill this year, a bill ended up passing, but it was after, you know, conspiracy theories came out from the Republican Party, and they had to force it through the Senate to get back to the House. Um, so even if someone has a mental health issue, for example, you can take you can stop them from purchasing a gun if they've been involuntarily committed. But if they voluntarily commit themselves, even though they have a mental health issue, then it's still they can still carry those weapons. So the question is, if someone has a mental health issue, what is what are the Republicans willing to do to make sure that they can't obtain firearms? And I think that's what people will ask. So you're right. Just like the Biden administration has to deal with inflation. The Kemp administration has to deal with the fact that they have not addressed mental health issues. 
You know, this this issue is so nuanced. Uh, on the, I don't watch the show, but I heard a report about uh, a session with uh, on the View, a progressive liberal talk show, um, that has, you know, like even even some of those people were against the idea of red flag laws and, and stricter background checks because of this idea that people with mental uh, illnesses would be um, sort of, you know, attacked and restricted in ways that they felt that was unjust. Um, it's very, very complicated. You know, in 2017, I got an A-plus from the NRA. Um, in 2020, I got invited to apply for their board, and I said no. Uh, Daniel Defense, uh, a manufacturer of defense weaponry and other weaponry, uh, is actually moving a Georgia company, is actually has already said, no, I'm not going to show up in Texas for uh, the convention. That's huge. Um, there are other Republicans who are saying, no, I'm not going to show up. I've got a schedule conflict, et cetera. Uh, there is an opportunity here to get people to take advantage of this emotional time and come up with practical legislation that can move us forward in a part progressive way. However, Democrats don't show a lot of taste for that kind of thing. They usually want control, control, control over safety, innovation, and measures that we can get some progress on. Uh, Kevin? So, Leo, let me, let me ask you this very directly, you know, as a, a wise uh, strategist uh, when it comes to these matters. I mean, bluntly, does the gun issue, did the Republicans afraid of it? Did they think the Democrats can beat them by making guns the big issue, even in the aftermath of this horrific tragedy? I mean, would you be worried about it if you were running a campaign? No. I don't think the Democrats can beat us on the gun issue because I don't think it turns out a lot of new voters on the Democrat side, whereas I think the protection of the, the Second Amendment idea of right to uh, a bare arm, I think that does draw freedom-loving people who want to put freedom as, as a priority, and that will animate the Republican base for certain. And I think that the language of progressive liberals control, take their guns away from them, that scares both Republicans and some Democrats. David? Yeah, yeah and, and I think that's the issue, is that we can't get anything done because Republicans basically look at this as the election issue. Will it impact them in the election? If it doesn't, then they don't want to address it. I mean, some of the common sense ideas that we talk about as a party is like the co-responders. Funding co-responders with the police force is, is how to, instead of just sending out law enforcement, you send out law enforcement plus a mental health professional. Putting money into those resources some Republicans view that as defunding the police, but in actuality, they are working along with the police. And so I think if we stop looking at this as a political issue and taking away guns, because you're right, Leo, a lot of purchases are African-American women, African-American men who are strong Democrats who believe in the Second Amendment. But they're also texting me saying, why are we not doing something about, um, you know, these red flag laws? Why are we not stopping someone who has abused their spouse? Why are we not stopping people who have mental health issues, you know, from obtaining guns? And I think that's what they differ with the Republicans on is they want to see some action, even though they believe in guns. All right. Um, uh, Sam Bermistoz is telling me I better get to a break, so I'm going to do that. One comment before we get there, and that is that um, talking about Daniel's defense down there on the Georgia coast, gun manufacturer, uh, the New York Times identified them as the company that manufactured the AR-15 uh, that was used in the shooting in Uvalde uh, the the other day. Uh, the the company is kind of withdrawing right now. They've pulled back on their social media uh, uh, presence, and that's understandable uh, uh, for them uh, right now. All right, let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. We'll be back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
Representative Dave Wilk, David Wilkerson, Leo Smith, Kevin Riley, and Emma Hurt join us for today's edition of Political Rewind. Emma, if I may, I'd like to start this segment uh, with you. I saw an item this morning on Axios Atlanta, which I think we really want to spend a few minutes talking about. Uh, you are, uh, folks report a day after polls closed with a razor thin 0.06 margin over the 50% required to avoid a runoff. State Senator Burt Jones has essentially claimed victory in the race for the Republican nomination for lieutenant governor. But Butch Miller, who's uh, in second place and has been long considered his his uh, uh, most likely opponent to to be able to beat him, refuses to give in. Tell us a little more about that story. Absolutely. You know, this is the, the last uh, the last one we've been been waiting on to see and both sides have been uh, watching votes trickle in a lot from Fulton County and from Savannah. And yesterday, the Jones campaign felt confident enough to, to declare victory, as you said, with the slimmest of margins. Um, but but uh, Senator, fellow state Senator Miller, is not conceding yet. So there's still there's we'll see how that plays out. But it does appear to be. Um, you know, it, it it seems like that that might be how it's going at this stage. Um, I will say, though, that uh, one of Butch Miller's senior advisors told me that it's it's interesting that the guy, meaning Burt Jones, who wanted to talk about the 2020 election for a year, is uh, ready to call his election after 24 hours. Because remember, State Senator Burt Jones, who is our last, uh, who is the only Trump-endorsed candidate, if these results uh uh, become confirmed who, who to win. He uh, was one of the senators who called for a special session. Now, at the same time, you know, this is complicated because he's the only Trump-endorsed candidate to do well, while the rest statewide, except for Herschel Walker, were um, were defeated. But he did raise more than twice as much money as Butch Miller, which is an important data point, as we know, in politics. Um, I, yeah, let's pick up on some of what... Uh, 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 Emma just told us. Uh, Leo, you want to weigh in? Well, Vernon Jones is considered a winner. He's a, I mean, he's in the runoff, and I think that's a win for somebody who, did, who didn't live in the district and is a Democrat, you know, senator, state senator. Uh, so, so he's a Trump endorsed, and uh, so that's that. But Burt Jones is really interesting. You know, a lot of people thought Bruce, uh, Butch Miller would have the favor of his fellow legislatures, etc., us legislators. The fact is, is that this is one of those things where, yes, the Trump endorsement really mattered for Burt Jones. He was also Atlanta secession, Buckhead secession. Um, he was pushing that issue. So he got a galvanizing uh, statewide interest in him as a person on that issue, uh, whether they lived in Buckhead or not. But he also is a oil man and, and uh, or distribution company. He had access to every gas station in Georgia. And his signs, David will tell you, were at every gas station corner in Cobb <laughs> County, where Butch Miller's weren't. That's powerful. Uh, let me point out that what Emma was saying was that uh, he is, Burt Jones would be the only statewide Trump-endorsed candidate who would be a victor if he, in fact, wins. But, Kevin, I think the most interesting thing about this story that I read in Axios this morning is the the quote from from the Butch Miller campaign. And I just want to uh, give it to you specifically. The quote is, it's ironic the guy who wanted to spend 12 months analyzing the last election's results, which, by the way, he thought were fake. They don't say that in their quote. Uh, has seen enough to know he's good in less than 24 hours. Burt Jones goes from being an election denier to an election believer in a matter of hours. <laughs> yeah, and that becomes clear, and it's, it, 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 does, it does say volumes, doesn't it? Uh, uh, but uh, it, uh, I'm just glad I, uh, that we, I'm hoping we get past the point where I have to try to keep Bert and Butch straight in my head because on this show I was always afraid I was going to use the wrong first name. So. All right. Uh, David Wilkerson, we should point out there is a runoff on the other side in the Democratic uh, lieutenant governor's race, Kwanzaa Hall. And or Charlie Bailey, Charlie Bailey, who's probably most prominent endorsement comes from Shirley Franklin. The Bailey folks spent some um, a decent amount of money on TV spots, emphasizing that Shirley Franklin supported uh, Charlie Bailey. 
Um, and it's interesting because Kwanzaa Hall got into this race very, very late. And you have to wonder to what extent is name recognition a factor driving him into a runoff? I think that was definitely the case. I, I talked to quite a few people who said that they recognized the name Kwanzaa Hall. And so I think they went with the familiarity that we talked about before <laughs> is that people are looking for people that they knew, they knew of them. And, you know, they're really focused on November. So I think Whoever comes out of that race is going to be well positioned to get the support of the, the Democrats that are going to come to the polls. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's a, a, an interesting question here. And Leo, you've been you've spent a lot of time at the Capitol. So have you, Emma. So as long as we're talking about the lieutenant governor's race for just a moment, I, I think maybe our listeners need to know, you know, that that, that this is a a very can be a very important office in the state of Georgia. When you cast a ballot for lieutenant governor, you're not throwing something away. This is the woman or man who essentially runs the business of the state Senate and along with the governor and the Speaker of the House is part of a triumvirate of power at the state capitol. Although most often the lieutenant governor isn't quite up to you know, the power status of the Speaker of the House. Uh, I mean, it's it's true. The lieutenant governor is a is an important platform at the Capitol. But at the same time, you know, the power of that office is more muddled than, you know, the Speaker of the House. And yes. as we know, uh, with Mark Taylor, um, is it Mark Taylor? You guys will check me that their powers can be taken away uh, by their own by the state Senate. So, Yes, it's a powerful platform. Yes, the job of presiding over the Senate is something that cannot be taken away and, and casting tie-breaking votes. But, you know, making committee assignments, that is not something that is baked in automatically. And I've heard from a lot of people that this job should be eliminated <laughs> because it's, it's just uh, it's, it can be it can be uh, tricky in that way, or at least it maybe should be tied to the governor to the governor's uh, ticket, too. Leo? Yeah, perfect example uh, of the importance of that role that I agree, Bill, people underestimate is Jeff Duncan, our exiting incumbent uh, lieutenant governor, who uh, decided that I will not send certain things to the committee. He, uh, he was a major force in the last session by uh, withholding his participation in some things that he thought distasteful, and it mattered. Um, so uh, there you go. And that, that role is extremely important, and I hope people will locally pay attention to um, what that role means. I, you know, when you mentioned Jeff Duncan, and you're right, he, he really, even as a Trump denier, as a guy who refused to go along with a big lie and very, very uh, openly, we, he was on uh, cable news over and over again as Trump was really uh, uh, beginning his campaign against Georgia, uh, saying that Trump was wrong, that he uh, thought Trump was uh, anti, uh, was against democracy, whatever. Um, he managed, even in the aftermath of that, and declaring he wasn't going to run for re-election, to exert enormous power in the state Senate this year, which was really, I thought, very, very uh, fascinating. The other thing about Jeff Duncan, Kevin, is he gave a statement the other day when David Perdue lost as badly as he did. Um, he said, this shows you that Trump is not as powerful as people think he is. Republicans need to take notice of this. Um, but the reality is, even if Trump himself is not as powerful as he was, Trumpism still pervades and dominates the Republican Party. Trumpism, if not Trump, right? I do think that is really what we should be paying attention to. Where, where does that lead? I mean, I do, I guess we could somewhat admire um, uh, uh, Senator Duncan because he's, he, he is talking, he's talking like a man who's free, you know, <laughs> who is free. He didn't have to run. <laughs> he has faced down Donald Trump. He is speaking his mind. Um, he, you know, that fantasy we all have when we're sort of limited and sometimes what we can say and do in our life. But um, I don't think Trumpism is going away. And, I, you know, there was a hint of that. And, you know, Leo mentioned the school board races and some of where that led, you know, felt a little bit like it must have had its roots in Trumpism. Uh, but 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 David, his vision, Jeff Duncan's vision of GOP 2.0 is a long way off. And if it's ever going to be realized, it's unlikely it'll be realized till well after the midterm elections in November. <laughs> 
No, I agree with that. We saw this legislative session, the, uh, you know, the impact of Trump, even though they are denying the what he says about the election, they're still following what he believes. Um, if you take the constitutional carry, for example, we kind of refer to that as, you know, Matt Gertler still is on because some of the things that were too extreme for Republicans just a few years ago, now they're doing. Um, I guess the one question I have is, does Jeff Duncan regret not running after he sees how Raffensperger and, and Kemp did? Mm-hmm. Um, he was basically in the same position they were, and he decided to just leave because he did, he got run up by Republicans. He couldn't take it. So um, I'm curious to see if he has second thoughts about staying in there and maintaining the position that he had and the influence. Um, that is that is an interesting question. I'll, I'll ask him uh, this question. Before when I talked to him, he was pretty excited about planning a summer vacation and and uh, getting to watch his his kids' sports, which I can understand would be more fun than campaign. Maybe, um, you know, I'll just say that while yes, candidates whose only issue was related to the twenty twenty election and maybe whose only differentiator was a Trump endorsement were largely. Um, rejected by Georgia Republicans, none of the other candidates who won said anything bad about Trump at all, ever. Brian Kemp has never said anything negative about Trump. And he um, it it reflects that Trump's influence remains in the party. And talking to Kemp supporters, there are people who really do manage to square those two things, that they wish Trump was president, that they would vote for him in 2024. Yeah. but they are still going to vote for Brian Kemp. And so that is certainly something that we cannot lose sight of and just write Trump off given these Georgia primary results. I got to get to a break, but before I do, I I do want to finish off that part of the conversation with something that um, our friend Alan Abramowitz, the Emory University professor who's frequently on Rewind, sent me. It's it's an article that Ron Brownstein uh, wrote for the Atlantic. And here's just one paragraph of it. It was about this notion of Trumpism as continuing on, even if Trump isn't in the ascendancy. Here's the graph. What does this mean for the future direction of the GOP? The challenge for the small remnant of Republicans who resist Trump, or even those who want to support his general direction without personally bending the knee to him, is that changes have shrunk the audience for any alternative path. As voters who are uneasy with Trumpism, largely college-educated suburbanites in metropolitan areas have drifted away from the Republican Party, the core left behind is more receptive to Trump-style arguments. And the more the GOP primaries produce Trump-style candidates, the less likely center-right voters will be able to vote in such elections at all. Leo, that seems to be right on the money, doesn't it? It indeed does. And and as I think about that, and you mentioned younger voters, I think about Jake Evans in the six, uh, Randy Evans, Ambassador Luckenberg, a former RNC committee man, national committee man. I I remember hanging out with Jake Evans. I was giving a speech at a hipster location in Midtown Atlanta, uh, one of the breweries, you know, that are so hot now. And this is way back in 2014. And, uh, you know, I was considered ultra conservative by Jake Evans and some of the millennials there because they were fiscally conservative, socially awesome was their, their banner there. And, 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 but now Jake is a radical trumpist. Jake is a radical trumpist. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with hipster, uh, Leo Smith and the rest of our panel in just a moment. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Rattler, with the eight minutes or so we have left, we should really talk about the uh, Senate race, which is now fully engaged uh, with the uh, primary being over as well. Um, it's it, the, We know that already, Kevin, some more than $80 million between Republican and Democrat individuals and, uh, and PACs has been poured into the Warnock and and uh, Walker campaign. So the amount of money spent in that that race is going to be staggering. Um, 
But here's what's interesting, about I think, about what, the way the Republicans are starting out their campaign. Um, there's a commercial which we played on our air here from the NRSC, um, and then Herschel Walker himself echoed this in remarks. They're acknowledging that Raphael Warnock is a, a, an extraordinary individual. Hard not to do, given his biography, which everybody knows because of the money he poured into commercials. Um, but he's just little Biden. He himself is remarkable, but he follows policies that are wrong for Georgia. It's an interesting approach. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that the Democrats are uh, sort of stuck with trying to attack Herschel Walker personally. And, you know, will that work? I think it's dangerous ground. I mean, it's this guy is a hero in Georgia. I mean, whether no matter what, you you know, politicos and, and journalists and others think of him and how he's handled this campaign, he hasn't really misstepped. I mean, he's clearly being closely managed and following that course. Um, I, I, I mentioned this before we came on the air and we were chatting um, you know, my Ohio friends are like, how could Herschel Walker end up being, you know, the, 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 the Republican candidate for Senate? And my rejoinder is simple. Hey, if Archie Griffin ran in Ohio, he'd probably win, too. I mean, at least the nomination. So I, I think it remains to be seen whether the personal attacks on Herschel Walker will work. Well, Emma, I'm not sure that I would use the word stuck. Democrats are stuck with the personal attacks. I mean, character does matter in uh, races for public office. I think Kevin's right. We don't know how much of the many things we've learned already about Herschel Walker's treatment of women in his life, his some of his business dealings, which um, are questionable. We don't know how much they are going to stick, but character matters, and your record, your history does too. Absolutely. And, you know, we did a focus group of swing voters, um, Axios did a couple weeks ago, and asked about Herschel Walker. And, you know, everyone has concerns. You know, some may still think they're going to vote for him, but everyone is concerned and wants to know more about these stories that you can see if you if you Google Herschel Walker at this point. That, that is what comes up along with the football, um, you know, heroism. Um, and I think at the same time, like, Raphael Warnock has $23 million in his campaign account. Mm. Um, as you've said, there's a lot more coming from outside groups to help. And once that is unleashed and that message is able to really um, hit home in Georgians' living rooms and on their TV sets, how will that change? Um, at the same time, I think it's noteworthy that, you know, in the last couple of weeks, Walker's campaign um, has has started to – it advise their events, has started to change their tone a little bit in relation to the media, and he's done more um, appearances and, and taken more questions. And so that will be the, mo- the, the place where we start to see questions about policy um, become, and ans- his answers about policy become public. Um, and so that, like, those, those dynamics will, will continue to ramp up, especially as, as the advertising does, too. David, I haven't seen any numbers about this, but I think it's fair to say that Raphael Warnock is very well liked, regardless of policy, by the people of Georgia. And that's what, in many ways, the Walker campaign is tapping into. Definitely. I think um, if you meet the senator, you're going to like him. Um, He's been very outgoing and he has an amazing staff as well. So anybody, Democrat or Republican, legislators or individual, that has dealt with his office, realize they are one of the top-notch staffs that I've seen out there. Um, And that's what people care about. So if you get to, you like both personalities, who's actually going to take care of your family when you have an issue, if you have a passport issue, if you have a disability issue? And I just don't see Walker being able to answer those questions when they're posed to him. And the difference between the general and the primary is that um, Warnock's going to have the money to actually highlight those issues. And so, you you know, so they're going to acknowledge the policy, they're, I mean, the personalities that both have. But I think when it comes down to the policies and who can actually help your families, I think that's where Warnock's going to have the benefit. You know, likability, affable, affability, you know, neutral. I mean, draw is a draw. Um, you know, uh, the, the issue of domestic violence, that's probably going to get neutralized as well uh, because both of them have those histories. But I foresee a moment on a debate stage. Well, 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 where wait, wait, wait. I think we've, I, I'm sorry, Leo. I think we got to be careful about that. Um, there's a big difference between what, what we know Herschel Walker's background includes uh, and this incident which, with his 
uh, with with Warnock's ex-wife and this dispute over whether he ran over her foot with a car. I just think we better be careful about that. No, I, I think the police reports matter, right? And and so, I, absolutely, I do want to be careful about it because it's a very sensitive issue. But we're dealing with public perception here, and that's the reality, okay? And so that's going to have to be handled well. But there's also going to be another moment where this looming figure, Herschel Walker, looks over to uh, to Warnock, who's just delivered in a debate some rhetorical splendor, and he looks at him and goes, okay, little Biden. And that's going to be affected when 20%, only 20% of Americans think that we're headed in the right direction um, in this country. Some polls saying 16, little Biden's going to work. All right. I'm really running out of time. But, Emmett, there's no question that Biden's uh, performance will have a big impact on Senate races around the country. Absolutely. Just like we talked about in the governor's race. Um, The only thing I was going to add is that I've heard that, you know, Senator Warnock has kept in place much of the constituent services staff that Senator Isaacson had in place. And so to Mm -hmm. the point about his staff, you know, he has maintained that um, that team on the ground. But again, national headwinds. It's real. Uh, uh, Kevin Riley, we are going to have that race is going to be one of the most watched races we know in the country, if not the most watched race. Once again, Georgia might be in the position of determining whether the Senate is controlled by Democrats or Republicans. So we 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 end where we started, Bill. Put on your running shoes if you're a a political junkie or a political journalist in Georgia, because it's going to be a long run. Okay, Kevin Riley gets the last word on today's show. Thank you so much, Kevin. Representative David Wilkerson, a pleasure to have you back on. Leo Smith, you know we always like it when you're here. And Axios Atlanta's Emma Hurt, thank you uh, for uh, being with us as well. We're out of time for today's show. Very quickly, tomorrow we're going to really look at the gun issue in a lot more depth. Dr. Mark Rosenberg who years ago was the CDC executive who launched the first studies of gun violence in an attempt to understand what causes people to use guns. He was fired because of that. But in the years since, since he has continued to talk about how important it is we understand what guns are used for and why. So we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Rosenberg on tomorrow's show, and I hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care. Stay healthy. Thanks for being with us, everyone, today. Bye-bye.